This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 139 of the Stacey West podcast. I'm Ben and Gaz is with me and for for, for once we're actually looking at each other as we record uh, because this is a bit of a special one. Um, and Gaz has just been flicking me the V's as we started. So uh, how you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I was actually just about to say we're all business. There's no witty banter tonight because um, we'll probably have a larger number of listeners because it's a Stacey West exclusive, isn't it? It's, it is you know, indeed, it's, not, yeah. it's the first time I think that we've got something exclusive over Hope and Glory, um, yeah. which is obviously <laughs> the better Lincoln podcast. But the club have said they'll go to the second best one uh, tonight. So there we go. Yeah, yeah very excited. Yeah, so what we've basically got tonight is um, a chance for some questions to get answered by Liam Scully. Um, it's sort of kind of in lieu of a fans forum, sort of maybe-ish. I think that was his wording. Um, but, you know, it, it's an opportunity that we've been given to sort of collate questions from listeners, followers on Twitter and stuff like that. And basically put them to Liam. Um, no topics off the table, which I think was something that was made pretty clear um and we've got some really interesting questions um i i have taken one topic off the table oh yeah you have olivia's dog i mean that there, there is there is a correct answer to that and you've already given it so yeah 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 so sorry olivia but that's not getting asked um but the answer is a shit suit and jack stop being a miserable git and let her have a dog um so uh so yeah, I think um, yeah, no better time than to get into it, is it? Yeah, let's bring Liam in. So yeah, we are now joined by Liam Scully, chief exec of the club. How are we doing, Liam? Yeah, very very well, thank you very much. Uh, melting a little bit. Well, I wasn't expecting it being that warm today, but uh, yeah, yeah it's plenty going on at football club. So whether it's Clyde making us paddle hard or the weather, yeah, certainly feeling the heat. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you'll have to excuse any fan noise in the background. I've got one just sort of a couple of feet to my right. So, um, but yeah, so we said in the intro, this is essentially kind of almost in lieu of a fans forum. Um, and, you know, you've approached us to 
to put this out and you know you've, you've very kindly said no topics off the table um so with that in mind and obviously this being a replacement for the fans forum first question really is uh why don't we leave a man up at corners uh, yeah, this is usually when I look at, at Michael or someone and, uh, and and try and clutch for an answer. I'll, I'll let you guys work that one out, but that's a, no, that, that makes me feel at home, so thank you for that, Ben. No. So we'll get, well, then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of our notes, then, Liam, which maybe might not make you feel so at home, I don't know. <laughs> um, look, let, let, let's start with the transfer business, because that's, that's something that all fans tend to focus on. You know, as a general starter for 10, were the club happy generally with the way that the transfer window went? I think I think generally, um, if we look at it holistically, yeah, I'd say we were. Um, deadline day, no, very very disappointed. And of course, you know, you very much look at, at the last day or the last moments. Obviously, you know, it's always you, you, you're you're almost only as good as your last day in a sense. And I think that's the real frustration that's coming out of it. Um, I do think wider market forces and, and things that were going on elsewhere um, were, were you know clearly had had a lot to play. And I'm guessing. That's going to perform some of the back uh, background to some of the other questions I'm sure you'll have to um, to ask as part of this. But you know, I think at any transfer window when you know you're getting the likes of TJ Hacks, Teddy Bishop, um, you know, in on permanent, um, you know, the the manager very much wanted you know Maguire right from the very offset as part of adding adding you know age and experience. Um, you know, so I think that's you know overall it's a window that we were we were pleased with, if not if not delighted, um, just because the the cherry on the cake, um, you know, never came to fruition. And yeah, you know, let's be really clear and deal with it straight off the bat. We we are one player short, um, you know, for for the um, you know for the first part of the season. Of course, we're looking at the, the the free transfer market at the moment, but it's not rich with with players. Um, that would fit our system and our style of play and equally our affordability. Um, but yeah, I suppose to explicitly answer the question, um, you know, we do have a review meeting scheduled with the board um, and uh, all areas of the football club next week and, and we'll really hone in and define that. But I would say at the moment in time, happy with the window, just thoroughly disappointed with the last day. And, and just sort of on on deadline day, I know that it's from the outside it always seems to be that moment when you look at it and you go oh they're just trying to get all the you know all the business done on deadline day um can you explain in a broad sense you know how how a transfer deadline day works from your point of view and the club's point of view and also just i mean i know we we know the broad strokes of essentially what happened but if you can and if you you know if you feel that you can as well um just sort of run over what happened um, with with Lincoln City's deadline day. Yes, I think I think first and foremost, just to be really clear, that what 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 doesn't happen is um, you know we don't sit there with a list of players and all of a sudden magic them up and go. I think we're going to try and sign them today. You know, it, it's far more in depth than that. You know, often players that we're looking to recruit, you know, there's been six months, twelve months work done on the recruitment process you know prior to to signing them both in terms of due diligence in terms of how they fit into our style um, character references you know affordability so you know to, to think that anything you know just comes out of you know in a couple of days is, is often rare there are scenarios that that, that does happen so you know just to, to add some balance to that but that either tends to be lone players um, or tends to be things 
things that happen quite quickly that, that are a surprise as a result of, of other market other market forces and other things that, that are going on in the transfer window. Um, so you know what what it's not a case of is you know Lincoln City identifying uh, you know targets and, and not being agile enough um, to, to transition between them as, as they're not you know not becoming available. Um, and the other thing we've got to be clear of is is we're, we're working to budgets and we were working to parameters. And what you can't do is you can't string four or five players along, you know, knowing that you've got a favourite waiting for your favourite to to say yes to you and then you know if you don't then go for number two and number three because you can probably do that for one window but you'd then very quickly get a reputation as being a club that you know renege on on verbal promises so that the, there is a real kind of detail that goes into this it, you know you are often involved in a chain sometimes those chains are relatively uncomplicated you know sometimes the chains are, are similar to the tail and the jamie robson one where you know it was only you know three four deep but it was actually quite a difficult chain to, to manage just because Teo was injured. He had a, a medical to, to undergo. So, you know, the full rubber stamping of that transfer didn't happen until around midday. You're on promises elsewhere. You're still trying to negotiate deals. And, you know, there's there's a chain that's going along. So, you know, what it isn't is just a load of people leaving things to the the, the last minute just for the, you know, just for the sake of it. And um, fundamentally, the reason why you see so much action on, deadline day is because there is a deadline that motivates people um to kind of get certain things done but it's not because you, you deliberately leave things to the to the 11th you know till, till the 11th hour so um yeah i think deadline day from from our point of view started very well we 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 had a a transaction in mind which was the teo you know out you know jamie in and, and what that looked like that that freed up funds and abilities to do you know other things so you know once that was confirmed there were actually a number of other bids that were put in for players ultimately they were they were unsuccessful um, we thought they'd probably be the case but we had to test the water um, and clearly look i, I can't confirm the, the identity of the player but i think everybody knows who, who it's on you know that that wasn't something that was meant to go to that point you know that three weeks before that, that deal was pretty much done um, um and ultimately we took the strategic decision that the player was of enough ability that it was worth waiting for um, to take that to take that risk. And you know, if it had come off as did Brennan Johnson 12 months ago, um, you know, people see the positive sides of it. But you know, obviously, the flip side of it is is we were left a little bit short on this occasion. So yeah, deeply frustrating. And of course, we're going to reflect and look back on what we did and you know if we could do things differently. But like the, the most beautiful thing for the transfer window, if you could give us one thing, it'd probably be a time machine. Um, because that's that's you know that you just can't predict how you know in particular in a volatile market how how other transactions are going to affect your deal and ultimately that's what happened in this case. Um, you touched there on the Teo deal, so I'm going to kind of pile a couple of questions on top of each other and let you go all at them. Um, first of all, we don't really know what the Teo deal was worth. We we're told as supporters it's around five hundred thousand pounds, so that opens up a can of worms about undisclosed fees which we may touch upon is jamie robson our record signing do fans have a right to know about undisclosed fees and how much they are and at the same point do you feel uh, as a club that that was good value for a player as teo because i know a lot of supporters tended to rate him um, a little bit higher so was it was it generally good business for the club as well yeah some really good questions there gary so starting from uh, i think just just going backwards a little bit so what what we found 
this summer was a really stagnant transfer market. So, you know, I think there was 37 deals done in the championship at around 40 million pounds, something of that of that elk. It wasn't anywhere near the values that has, you know, that has gone on before. And, you know, predominantly our player development model is, is selling to the championship. And conversations that we have with players when we're recruiting them is, you know, there's two pathways here. Either you come to Lincoln City and you grow with us and we go to the championship together. Um, or if you develop quicker than we develop, then, you know, there'll be an alternative pathway, which will ultimately be a sale, you know, to, to the championship or potentially even higher or a, or a division of a of a similar standing. Um, and I think from, from our perspective, in a more buoyant market, in um, in a more regular season, as historics would have, have kind of shown us, you know, we probably, you know, without going into the fee that we actually got for Teo, you know, I'd probably have wanted, you know, in the region of, you know, it would be probably six figures more um, than, than we actually got. But but ultimately, you know, it was relative in terms of the market. It was it was that was the deal or 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 nothing really. And in terms of how we assess value, I think first of all you can be really pigheaded and, and put a number on it and say unless you're going to hit this number, it, it it's it's worth it or it or it's not worth it. But ultimately, we had to we we assessed the position which was. Um, what does the Teo going out with the cost of replacement, what does that either enable us to do elsewhere or how does that balance balance the books? And bear in mind, there's a, a sell-on fee to be paid to Fulham. Um, you know, the stage payments in terms of when when the money comes in. Um, so all of that has to go into to play before you assess. And ultimately, the conclusion that we came to was the number, the net value to Lincoln City based on what we received, what we had to pay out to Fulham, what we had to pay out to Dundee. We just felt that overall that six figure betterment was was worth it to Lincoln City, be it back into the business um, in terms of overall running costs or, um, you know, into funding other opportunities. Um so, yeah, I think in, a, in an ideal world, it, you know, it, it would have been, you know, 100,000, 150,000 pounds more, um, of course, but that wasn't on the table at that moment in time. Um, one thing I will say, two, two things very quickly, was that um, Teo handled this, you know, in, in, in I suppose as, as we've got to know Teo, as you would expect, he was absolutely exemplary in this. We'd had discussions with his agent and there was, there was two real options. Either Teo was going to stay with us and run his contract down and then be a free agent next summer. We'd have got the value of Teo on the field um, or, um, you know, he was going to be sold, um, you know, in in, uh, in in the summer transfer window. Um, no real plans to sell in January and, and dis, you know, uh, and to take that option then. So we were all on the same page knowing the options. Teo was, was happy either way. And like I say, when, when the final offers came in and we got it to a position, we assessed that and we felt that it did enough for the football club um, that, that it was a, a transaction worth worth doing. Um, look, you know, I, I don't know whether I should say this, but I, I will do, you know, I'm pretty confident if Teo would have, would have left on a free transfer next summer. Um, you know, we, you know, Jamie was out of contract as well next summer. So, you know, may, maybe that that deal would have still happened, but we'd have we'd have had tail on the field, um, but we wouldn't have, um, you know, we wouldn't have had the benefit of, of the cash in um, as well. So all of that has to be weighed up. And I think the last thing I will say from a footballing point of view on this is what I don't want us to do is whilst the transactions are intrinsically linked, I think it's really difficult to kind of straight away make 
you know, put Jamie up against Teo um, because that's really unfair on the player. You know, he's, a, he's got very different attributes. He's been brought for slightly different reasons um, to that. And that's probably why when you look at official club comms and how we deal with things, that's probably for protection of the player, why, why we don't, I suppose, have conversations like this via a, an official press release, just because you can't really get into the detail and you can't really explain the, 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 the nuance um, behind the story. But um, so, yeah, explicitly, Gary, you know, was Taylor's bid value in the current market? Yes. In, in ordinary years, probably not. Um, you know, I, you know I, I can't say Jamie would be our, our record signing, but, you know, it's definitely up there. But it works as part of that overall transaction. There's no point, you know, weakening the team tremendously. So, um, look, in, a, in an ideal world, you have your replacement in one window before you sell. Um, that would be the ideal model. But, you know, you don't always get that luxury. So, overall, we're happy with the transaction that did take place, albeit Teo and Jamie, they're, you know, the different players. And I think we've just got to be fair to, to let Jamie come in and be his own man rather than the new Teo. Sorry, can I also just pick up on the undisclosed fees? Obviously, um, a lot of supporters are a little bit frustrated. I just wonder what the club stance was on that. Yeah, I think two things. I think, first of all, if there was a regulation that came in and that said you weren't allowed, you know, you had to disclose your fees, you know, I think I'd probably support that. But it's a competitive commercial negotiation and environment. So, you know, if we're the only club to do so, then we put ourselves at a competitive disadvantage. And I suppose the only analogy I can have is, Imagine you, you know, you're going to buy a house and the person that you're bidding for a house from knows how much you got for your house that you've just sold. You know, it just it, it changes that that negotiation. So, you know, I, I think I completely agree with fans that it that it's frustrating. Um, if I had a choice, yeah, I, I'd, I wouldn't have an issue with, with not making them undisclosed, but it would have to be based on the whole uh, football picture being undisclosed, not not just Lincoln City, because at that point the only people that it weakens is is ourselves. Cool. And sorry, Ben, do you mind if I just jump in again? I don't want to hog it, but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you touched there on the fact on deadline day we we put a couple of bids in for players. Obviously, I wouldn't be as unprofessional as to pressure for names. Um, was that the same case the other way? Did did we have any other interest in our players um, either on deadline day or through the transfer window that we turned away? Yeah, we we turned down you know significant six figure bids. Um, for a number of our players, multiple bids and, and multiple interests that we had. So, you know, this goes back to the, are we a selling club? You know, well, I don't know really what a selling club is, but everyone at our level of football, you know, has to play a trade in order to kind of move their way up the football pyramid. But, you know, it's not just about bringing a player in and accepting any bid or any value. You know, what we do is we look at contract length, we look at on-field value, we look at chances of extending that deal. You know, a number of things do go into that. And, you know, we, we turned down a number of, of quite lucrative, from a pure cash point of view, bids this this summer. Um, number of them, multiple bids for for same players because it just didn't meet our valuation. And you know that's again goes back to a the marketplace in in some instances, but equally, you know where we're looking to sell players. You know one of, you know, some of the bids were from rival League One clubs, and you know I'd never say we'd never sell to a League One club, um, but it's certainly you know not not Plan A. Um, to, to, to do so because we're, we're you know we want to look up not down we want to be competitive um, and, and that obviously dictates some of your decisions but but of course you know the market and what's what else is going on in League One will will always dictate that um, but yeah you know you obviously know about what we did accept you, you know it's not always clear to know what we what what we didn't accept I suppose. 
No, no, that's fair. Um, I think the, the next question really was um, one that a couple of people have, have picked up on, and it's around some of the signings that we have made um, and how they've come into the squad, and they're not necessarily going straight into training due to injuries or sort of little niggles that they picked up elsewhere. Um, is there... Is, is there sort of a stance there on signing players that not necessarily might be injury prone, but would potentially be considered a little bit more risky? Um, is that something that, uh, you know, maybe if, if you can bring a player in that, that has almost a bit of a history on that side of things, do they become a little bit more affordable or is that, does, does anything like that get taken into account? Um, yeah, look, I think first of all, there's, there's certain players that do become available to us, um, because of their injury situation that, that probably wouldn't be available. Um, but ultimately, we do our due diligence and we do our work. And, you know, a, a lot a lot of times it can be circumstantial and it can just be it can just be timing. You know, to give you a very quick example, you know, Teo's deal did hinge on quite a thorough medical. You know, we know how uh, fit Teo is and, 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 and how um, he's ultimately put the ring of run of games together, but due to timing, you know that that could have been a deal that that didn't happen, and, it, and it's the same with the inbound, really. Um, I don't I don't mean to sound cliche, but you know one thing I will say is injuries cause more injuries, especially when you have them in the early part of the season, and especially when um, you have the the run of games that you do at the start of the season. You know, with the extended season we had in last season, with the shortened pre-season that we had. Um, you know, we really felt that going in, you know, and probably still feeling the effects of it um, going into the other parts of the game. I'll give you a quick example. You know, Hack has, has you know, let's be clear, he's, he's, he's had a, he's taken a little bit of stick from some of the fans. Um, but his timeline is he should have been nowhere near ready up until actually the Bradford game, which was, was arguably, you know, his, his best performance. Um, and I think it's things like that, that, you know, Hack actually sacrificed himself and, you know, went ahead of schedule and, and had to play in games um, just because of the injury situation that we had. And that's where you can see it just it, you know, things like this just kind of compound themselves. Um, it's definitely not a strategy of ours to go out and sign injured players because, you know, we think we can magically heal them. But but circumstances did mean that, um, you know, that they, they became available. You know, you know, example being, you know, Teddy Bishop. Teddy Bishop came our way, was available, but he'd been, tra- you know, he'd had no preseason training he'd been training with the reserves and the on the under 18s so by the time he came to Lincoln he wasn't two three weeks into a program like he should have been he was he was starting from day dot and that's not not Teddy's fault that's not because he's injury prone that's not you know that's just before you know because he ended up in the bomb squad or whatever you call it nowadays you know in in his his you know where he was at and and therefore by you know coming to us he, he wasn't in condition and he, and he wasn't ready so it's things like that you know I think we all can see what a player Teddy Bishop is and will be for Lincoln City. Um, but we knew that we would have to take a slow start. And Michael has known right from the very beginning he's going to have to be really, really patient with him. And I think that manifested into the subs on the bench for the Man United game because what Michael could have done, if he wanted to be really selfish, is he could have probably named two or three others on the bench that had made him and us look better as a club. But ultimately all we'd have done is put, put more people at risk and and, and risk the long term. So that's where I will give Michael a great deal of respect and credit in the fact that, you know, he does look at that and, and he's got the awareness to, to understand the bigger picture. 
just quickly before you jump back in, guys, I just want to pick up on that, um, on the situation about the Man United game. I know it was something that, um, uh, I know that Michael wasn't, well, didn't sound best pleased when he was uh, talking about it on the radio and it sounded like it was a, um, a, a decision that was taken out of your hands. Um, how much can you say around that and and the situation and, and, you know, just put anything out there that would potentially shed some light on what happened there? Yeah, so really simple. Start of the season, you get we get given a master fixture list and it tells you where your Carabao Cup dates are, where your Papa John's games are going to be. So broadly speaking, that's what your schedule is going to look like. And we were asked by Man United, along with Bradford City, if we're knocked out of the Carabao Cup, would you play on the Carabao Cup date? Um, and which at that point, there was no reason to say um no, but equally there was no reason to say yes. So we just said we will consider it. Um, that that was as, as simple as it is. In fairness, I don't see the point of being asked because whether we were asked or not, um, ultimately the league would have, league would have decided anyway. And I think the disappointing thing for us is we were man, ultimately mandated to play on what was a Carabao Cup date. So I don't think we can have any complaints when you've got to play on a, a Papa John's night. You know, you've got to take medicine. But it was just really disappointing that ultimately the... Man United got their elbows out and we were forced to play on a non-designated, you know, Papa Papa John's night. And that caused more injuries. You know, Dan got injured um, on the night, which clearly hasn't helped our case um, as, as, as well as others. So, yeah, really disappointed. I can sound off about it as much as I want, but won't change a thing in the world. Probably will happen again. It's just frustrating, really. Um, you touched on on the, the kind of the transfer window a little bit and the change in landscape. Uh, and I was just interested, Michael's comments, he thought that there was probably 12 clubs who had overspent. And I just wondered where in terms of Lincoln City, we, we've kind of fit into that overall landscape and how that has affected our overall season's objectives. Yeah, so well, we definitely, you know, we consciously don't want to be that club that are constantly going on about budgets and constantly going on about, um, the war chests that, that we have elsewhere. But there are a couple of relatively, you know, obvious, um, I suppose I'm going to call it facts, but obvious situations um, that are out there right now. And that's, there's a lot of investment and new ownerships in League One. And there's lots of big clubs. And there's lots of clubs that have had investment for a while that are also desperate to, to get out. Um and you can just see that in some of the size of the deals or the reported size of the deals or some of the names that have been you know, attracted to clubs. Um, but if, if I was to be asked, I think as good as a top six finish was last season, on paper, I'd say a top 10 finish would be better this year, you know, pound for pound, like for like. That doesn't mean our objectives are... 12th place or 10th place our objectives are still to keep moving the football club forward but what we can't do is we just if it's an arms race we just can't go toe-to-toe pound for pound um with new investment with clubs that have got 20 plus thousand crowds in every single week um a that's not us um but but b it would only put the long-term club at you know health of the club at risk and, and we'll never take this kind of feast or famine approach to the football club we're as frustrated um as the fans and we you know we want to continually move forward but you know 
without sounding cliche again, progress doesn't just come in straight lines. You know, it might have to be small steps, you know, two steps forward, one step back. But what we don't ever want to do is take 10 steps back because we've, we've gone all out in, in, in one year. I think if the fans have got used to knowing now that we felt the year to get out of League Two was the right year. And we, we you know, we went for it at, at that point. Um, but we just don't have the financial wares to do that in League One, certainly not under the current constitution, under the current um, current rules. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably say there are 12, you know, more freely spending bigger clubs in, in the league. I don't hold that against them. I'm not, you know, not jealous, not, you know, they're, they're entitled to do their own thing. I think we've just got to have perspective that if we can break into that top 10, if we can push in and, and keep moving forward, then then that is a good, good, good season for us. But it won't, hopefully what it is, is it's not at our long-term detriment. You know, it's just, you know, slow and steady rather than, you know, just, just like a firework in a bucket. Um, you mentioned uh, sort of at the start of uh, when, we, when we started talking about uh, free agents. I mean, we've obviously spoken about uh, things like season objectives and um, the how how sort of challenging the, the transfer landscape is. But when it comes to free agents, how how high up on the list is it that you know that, that that's what you're looking at at the moment? I know it's probably going to be a relatively obvious question because they're the only players that we can bring into the club at the moment, but yeah, how? I'm, I'm supposed I'm asking how women and are you? You know, how how important is it that you're looking at something like that? Look, there's there's nothing imminent. Um, so what we, what we don't want to do is just just spend the fans and spend the the directors and investors money on a stocking filler. There's there's absolutely no point to doing that. You know, the current players, the meth. You know, we know how much Michael needs to work with them on the training ground. We know how they improve day to day with Michael. So you know, just bringing somebody in and expecting them to be up to speed, you know, overnight, you know, it, is it going to happen? The, the other element is if you're a free agent right now and clubs are, you know, into you, you you've got enough, you know, you, you're effectively going for a premium because um, you know the clubs with the financial wares will will you know will, will be attractive. You know we we were having early conversations with the player players representatives over the last couple of days, um, and let's just say our very very best number got doubled. You know within 20 minutes, um, and that's and that's and that's the market that we're in. So again, not complaining, but. You know, if it's not that player, and then we start, you know, looking at the the rest of the list and the rest of the options, then actually what we find is, you know, we're substitute, you know, we're substituting quality. What, you know, what might work is if there's a marriage of convenience. So what might work is if we find a player that maybe comes on a short-term deal, wait for a championship move, or needs to get a run of games for fitness or whatever. There could be a, yeah, a marriage of convenience type relationship. But do I see Lincoln City signing? you know, our star asset, you know, that comes out of this this period of time. No, because ultimately this wasn't plan A, it never was. But we will be reactive enough. We will be proactive. We will look what's going on. Um but we've just got to make sure that we're not we're not knee jerking what we're doing and, and equally we've just got to be mindful that yeah, you know, we, we don't want to solve a short term problem that gives us a legacy problem six months down the line. 
I think um, one of the last ones that we've kind of got around the, the transfer window and the so-called model at the moment is um, one or two fans have emailed in and mentioned just about future-proofing. So obviously we saw Teo leave, and as, as you said, in an ideal world, his replacement comes in six months earlier, but that obviously didn't happen this this window. Uh, lots of speculation around Michael's future over the summer. The better he does, the more that will increase. So is there a sort of a robust structure in place within the club for future-proofing, both the squad and uh, kind of key staff and key personnel yeah 100% so you know you look look at Teo as an example you know when, when he was brought in he was a um, you know he we, he had potential and we knew what he could go on to be but equally there was an element of risk for that and imagine if if Lincoln City gave him a four-year deal and he turned out you know not to develop and and you know leave academy football leave under 23 football and not develop you know the fans would all be looking at us going you guys were crazy giving that tail eden a four-year deal and he never kicked a ball for us so you know there is a real balance to 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 when you are bringing in players to develop in the projects because you've got to back yourself that gives you enough time but equally you've got to you've got to protect against you know the what if scenarios you know remember you know with a lot of players that we are bringing out of uh, of Premier League football or higher up, you know, it's the first time in men's football, first time away from home. You know, there are a lot of environmental issues. It's not just playing ability that um, can be discussed. And without being crass or, or inappropriate, I think, you know, Zach Elbazudi is a great example of that. You know, he's he's going on and having, you know, a reasonable time, you know, at his, his, his new location and his new home. But, you know, we really struggled to get that that regular performance out of him. And that wasn't for lack of trying. It was just, you know, probably environment, right, fit, whatever. And, you know, we, we had to just be really careful as to the, the type of contract. So for every tail, you know, I, I won't be, you know, Zach did a very good job for this football club in the role that he did and I'm definitely not calling him. But, you know, you, you have got to manage those those elements. So, you know, it's not a science. You know, we've got to remember these are young men, these are human beings. So as much as you watch them and scout them and look at what their technical abilities are, a lot of it is the environment, a lot of it is the fit, as lot as how they settle. And and that's a real, you know, part part of the risk and part of the jeopardy of, of the transfer market. So yeah, you know, I think what I'd like to think we, we protect ourselves where that where we can. Um of course, there are going to be times where you have to compromise. And look, let, let's you know for those that say, you know, why would you just offer Teo a new contract? Like the numbers that you would have to offer Teo to to stay when he could have a free market next year. This isn't Teo being greedy. This is just the agent doing his job and 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 the player looking to realise their aspirations, their their career aspirations. You know, one we could probably never get to that level. But let's just for argument's sake say we did. That then shifts the paradigm for every other negotiation we ever have with an agent or a player. You know, we can look an agent, we can look a player in the eye right now and say, Lincoln City doesn't sign, play, pay signing on fees. You know, and they speak to other agents, they speak to all the players and they know that's true. But as soon as you start paying above a threshold, like you, it's not just your future players that you sign, your, your whole squad creeps. And all of a sudden you end up with a more expensive squad without adding any any deal, you know, great deal of quality to it. So, of course, you've got to look at the player, the player's value in isolation, but equally, you've got to look at the holistic squad effects of that. And, and equally, you've got to be fair to your squad. You know, you've got to be fair to your players that are playing equally as pivotal role, but their contracts aren't at that same milestone. You know, if you say your top earner is £10, then your top earner needs to be £10. You can't, you can't change that to £20 just because of a, of a circumstance. So, um that, that's not letting pride come before a fall. That's just making sure that we keep an overall cap on squad costs and squad 
growth. Um, because what what you what you end up if you don't is a very expensive squad that you know hasn't got the ability to do what you want to do on the field. So that that's the balance. I think the other thing as well there. Um, that somebody else I think mentioned on social media when we were talking about the Teo deal was that if you then try and tie down players that are on the verge of those moves for you know decent money to the championship that does that not also go against the ethic of the of the model that we're, we're putting in place at the moment where you know if somebody's got the opportunity to move to the championship now and better their career but we're trying to tie them down to a you know a long-term contract here and could that then get around you know other young players and say oh well they're linking a great they'll develop you but then they'll try and sign you to a six-year contract or whatever you know something along those lines yeah look let's, let's be really clear this isn't lincoln city being altruistic and, and wanting to you know it, it's what what we often talk about is creating that win-win and if the deal on the table and the offer is a win-lose either way then it's not a deal and you know, you, everybody knows players can often want to agitate and try and force a move. And, and it's really simple, you know, not that that's happened, but if it does happen, if it's a win for the player and a lose for Lincoln City, that's not a deal. And, and we won't have a gun tail to our head um, to, to do that. If the situation ends up in a win-win, which is what we're trying to, to achieve, then that's where the, the deal will happen. And that's what happened with Tao. And just, you know, I, I will labour the point, but Tao handled himself impeccably throughout all of this. Communication was open, you know, his performances, you know, he was playing, he knew exactly what the situation was, his agent knew exactly what the situation was. And that actually enabled a deal to happen. Um, if the player had been agitating or trying to force a move when the, the value and the bids that were coming in, you know, we had multiple bids for Tails, you know, some nowhere near the value. If it had been agitating for a move, it ended in a lose-lose situation and, and, and nobody wants that. So, yeah, it's not because we're altruistic and, you know, we want to be seen as that, but we do need an evidence base. We do need to show players, you know, what we can do for their career. And like I said, that conversation we have with them, you know, we either all go on the journey together or if your journey's faster than our journey, then then we, we accept that. That doesn't mean we're going to let you go cheap will have a value but as long as it's a win-win then we have to accept that your 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 movement your trajectory is just quicker than the football clubs at this given moment in time that's fair enough thank you very much i think um i think probably looking at time probably skip on to another topic so we've got a whole list of things here to get through um so if if it's all right with you we move on to the stacy west development or redevelopment we've got quite a few questions around that first of all like to discuss the bond um we've had a few questions coming around the bond for instance just um is it covered by the fsa uh, and did the club think that the timing might have been wrong? It obviously came out after deadline day. Lots of people saw it as as a cap in hand exercise. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, so big big picture, you know, the timing of the bond raise, uh, unfortunately, had kind of been planned for probably six six months now. Um, and you know, we need to make a decision by the start middle of October whether the development's going ahead this season and then going ahead into next season. And ultimately that's where we need, you know, the fundraise um, and, and we need to know what, what that looks like. Um, hopefully this doesn't come across as the, the club continuously asking fans to, to dip into the pockets. What this is designed and what this is aimed at is fans that do have spare money. There's, there's no arm up the back. There's no expectation. Um, but, you know, if you're happy to sign that money over to us for a number of years, what we can do with it over the course of time is, is 
create that development, build the stand, build the legacy for Lincoln City, um, and then return that um, with a bit of interest um, and as a fan, knowing that you you played your part and helped us contribute to that. Um, the EPC bond uh, was contributed to by about 175 people. You know, so out of the 9,000 fans that you know, regular fans that we do have, um, you know, what this isn't is a plea to 9,000 fans to dip your hands in a pocket. Um, it's definitely not designed for that. Um, it is designed to those people that do have that that spare fund, you know, put away you know, rainy day or whatever it may be, um, and, and and do feel that it's the right move for them. Um, yeah, absolute right to ask. It is an unsecure loan. Um, you know, it, it's ultimately backed by the football club and, and Clive and the current custodians. Um, but yeah, for, you know, that that's probably why the interest rates are a little bit higher. Um, but hopefully, you know, our intentions for the club um, have been seen and known. Just so people are aware, what we will be doing is um, over the course of time, as attendance is hopefully rising, as we sell above 9,500 fans on those occasions, that money is actually going to be ring-fenced and put into an escrow account so that we're then keeping the money aside for when it is due repayable in the course of five, seven, ten years' time. So this isn't actually something that is going to improve our bottom line, or it will do from a PL point of view, but it's not going to mean the investors and the directors have to put in less. But what it does mean is it's an enabler that allows us to make this development and, and have it ready in the future. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully, yeah, I completely understand the view in terms of on the back of it. Well, you know, I think a positive transfer window will be a disappointing deadline day. But you know, this is a, this is a bigger picture thing, and it can't be parked for a couple of weeks um, because it's all you know it's already running quite close to its deadline and, and its answer really. Okay, and Avengers Jump is obviously the Reddings Community Trust taking the lead on it um I, I, when i say what was the thinking behind that i mean i, I don't want that to sound like a, a, a crass assessment of the red Imps community trust because i'm very much behind them but you know is there a, a reason that they've taken the lead rather than the football club specifically yeah so in terms of there are just some legalities around the promotion of that and uh, how that's all done and ultimately you know working uh, through the red Imps community trust as a vehicle um it enables the football club to arrive at its destination that it wants to do you know, um, quicker without doing anything underhand. Um, and equally, we have been working with the Red Imps Community Trusts for a number of years now, um, you know, more aggressively so since, you know, Rob Bradley, um, you know, rejoined and uh, became the supporters director. And this was also something that we wanted to work with the trust on um, as part of helping them, um, you know, make a, a step forward in terms of their ambitions and then their links with the fan base um, as well. So, Again, I think it, it, it suited all parties that they were the promoter and they were the vehicle that this was done through. And then equally, as a supporters organisation, um, I do think it sits in the right place naturally, you know, in, in any event. Um, a couple of things around the development that I know, I think they've been touched on before, but just to get a little bit of clarity on um Obviously, the first thing is that the the pillars are there. I know it's been discussed about the the cost of a of going cantilever like the uh, like the co-op stand. Um, how I don't know how to phrase this one, but how much of a bigger cost was it to to look at cantilever rather than the pillars? Um, and I think the other big question we had around it was uh, has safe standing been looked at, and will we potentially be looking at implementing rail seating either in the Stacey West or elsewhere in the stadium? 
Yeah, good. Um, so if I sidestep for a moment and then I, I will come and answer your question. But the, the one thing I will say, Ben, is I have got, you know, people, this is everybody's you know, the fans football club and they're absolutely entitled to their views and their opinions. And, you know, I would never, you know, um, you know, take an opinion away or, or disagree with someone on their views. I suppose the, the only time that I, um, I get a little bit disappointed when I hear things is, is when people either think that we've not done our due diligence and have been lazy um, and or, and I'd probably be quite frank with this, just 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 make things up um, that then seem, you know, people seem to believe. I promise you, if we could not have pillars in that development, we'd not have pillars in that development. But what we've got to do is we've got to look at the overall timeline that we we could be at Sinsel Bank. Um, you know, the move to the Western Growth Corridor is not completely off the table, albeit 10, 12 plus years away. So any investment or any infrastructure that we build has to almost have a timeline in mind that it can be re repayable. And, you know, the short answer is no matter what materials we looked at, no matter what design we looked at, taking the pillars out added such a fundamental cost to the build and the development, it either stopped it from happening or would prevent investment going into other areas. At the last board meeting, I was asked to present um, development that we would like to do tomorrow that would move the football club forward. And the totality of that development was £3.25 million. And these are things that we would all actually really like to do from further developments to the EPC, further developments to the stadium, further developments to the academy, um, further developments to, to the kind of the fan areas of the stadium as, as, as well, fan village, etc. And ultimately, if we go and, you know, yes, we can go and spend, I don't know, another half a million pound on the Stacey West stand and let's say remove pillars, but then it stops development in other areas. Um, and ultimately, the, the success that <clears throat> I think we've had with the football club over the past four or five years is the fact that everything's moved roughly at the same pace. Not exactly, but, you know, if we just move the first team forward, but not the stadium or not the pitch, then once the first team stop development, it's all built on sand and it all goes, you know, it quite quickly reverts back to what it was. So the whole aim is that we just constantly step by step move the football club forward. So, look, if there was no other investment required into the stadium, the EPC, the academy, the playing budget, anything like that, would we probably look at spending the additional funds on the Stacey West? Yeah, you might get a slightly different view, albeit I still don't think it stands up in its own on its own merit. Um, but put, putting everything into the pool, everything into the consideration, yeah, pillars um, are, are are the way forward. It, it it makes it achievable, and and it equally prevents things that are happening. You know, it doesn't prevent anything that's happening elsewhere, or that we'd like to do elsewhere. Sorry. No, that's fair enough. And then um, about safe standing and rail seating. Sorry, yeah, um, yeah. So um, actually, the, there's been some noise coming out of government that you know the, the safe standing policy that was pre-pandemic and the momentum that we had behind that we, is still progressing. Yeah, look, if, if it's up to us, there'll be rail seating in the top half of that development, which will enable the flexible stand. So as you know, as it's used currently, the plan is to split it between home and away use, but equally that could be split between all seating or even a mixture of seat and standing, um, home and away, um, depending on the game, depending on the fixture, uh, and depending on the risk rating. 
And just for some clarity, I know a lot of people in the media have been talking about, uh, social media rather, have been talking about the Stacey West development and saying, well, we hardly ever sell out the stadium. Why is it a benefit? And I just wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to put across how it will benefit the club day to day during the week rather than literally just 2,000 more bums on seats. Yeah, so there's two elements to the Stacey West. There's the Monday to Friday use, which is the community classrooms and the facilities that ultimately underpin our community strategy. Um, and that's a huge, huge um, draw. And it's, a, it, you know, it is equally as important as the increase of capacity to the stadium. Um, so, you know, there isn't a hierarchy to that decision. The community facilities that will be in the undercroft of the Stacey West stand are, are integral to us. Um, but, but equally, you know, the increased capacity, the, there's no point having, you know, let's just for argument, let's allow ourselves to dream for again for a moment. If we were in the championship this year, I can assure you the criticism that would have come our way would have been, well, they should have done it 12 months ago. Um, you know, why did they not think about it? What a bunch of Muppets. Um, so, you know, you, you can't win in these scenarios. Our, our aim is to future-proof um, everything that we're doing. And as we say, if we want to grow and as we want to step forward, then we would like to be playing bigger teams more often. And that means having an away capacity um, you know, able to hold them, but equally the community facilities underneath. So, yeah, completely accept where we are on right now, but you know, that's that's only looking one step ahead rather than the two or three ahead that we we like to think that we plan um, in all our decision making. Fair enough. Um, so the, the the next question really was around how will the development impact supporters? Um, obviously, we're looking at. Uh, starting the development towards the end of the season will it potentially you know inconvenience people on match day or are we looking to are you guys looking to essentially do everything behind the stadium before the end of the season and then over the closed season you know build over the top and everything else yeah so plan a would be um we take the roof off and the back of the standoff um within the course of this season um, which then just gave, gives us a head start for the intensive work programme that would need to take place in season. Um, should, will the fans be impacted? Broadly, no, um, albeit, you know, I don't know, for, for a number of months, um, that could be an uncovered seated stand. So should we get uncharacteristic uh, rainy day in February? Um, then, yeah, of course. Uh, what I will say is we have registered alternative prices with the EFL, so if the roof comes off and if that is then used on match days, it will be at a lower price point to reflect the fact that it's not similar seating to, you know, covered seating that you do have in the rest of the stadium. It's interesting you mentioned price points, which is another question somebody's put to us is obviously at the moment it's a one size fits all. Wherever you sit in the ground, your your price is this. Um, with an upper tier behind the goal, will the club be looking at any structured pricing in the future to reflect the the kind of the premium seats and what some people class as the budget seats? Yeah, we're I suppose we're at a slight disadvantage compared to our competitors at the moment, but we've knowingly made that decision, which is the fact that we do operate a single price tier and. That's because, you know, centre, you know, upper centre of the co-op, you do pay the same price um, as if you sat in, you know, I don't know, the Stacey West or the Crypto Club. And I suppose there is two ways to look at that. Um, the way we look at it, and, you know, I'd like to think it's genuine, is the fact that we don't charge a premium for those seats. And the reason being is, you know, fans that are season ticket holders that sit there have probably held those seats for a number of years. And I suppose it's our way of, of recognising that and not putting a price hike um, 
just because that you've, you, I don't know, I'm not saying you've you've earned your way to the centre, but you know, ultimately those seats that, that have been you know free for a number of years, um, or you've had for a number of years, that that's why people are sat there in, in essence. So yeah, we have a single pricing tier, which you know is is, is actually to our disadvantage. Um, I don't think, based on the marketplace at the moment, we could discount the the other seats further. Um, what we could do. Um, is look at increasing the prices for the, the in theory prime seats, but that's that's not really in our thinking and not something that we'd we'd want to do. Um, I was asked about twenties um, plenty and how we how we see that, and and I'd give you the same answer that if every club had to comply by that, you know, I wouldn't have an issue and we would support it. But what we've got to remember is we're, we're competing, so the minute that we do something that nobody else is doing we're just then discounting our revenue and our competitive disadvantage. And that and, and, and the two things are intrinsically linked. So this isn't about us not wanting to do it. You know, I think you'd actually find Clive and the rest of the board members are, are supportive of such policy. It's just the fact that we would be we would just be disadvantaging ourselves in, in adopting that. So if everybody has to do it, sign us up. I, I can't see a problem with it. Um, right, so if, we, if you're happy, Liam, to move on to match day issues, um, we'll go straight on to one which certainly affected Ben because he missed the TJ Aoma unveiling, Aoma unveiling, and that's the queues outside the ground. Um, it's kind of a, a layer the question again to give you an, an opportunity to kind of get several answers in at once. But first of all, um, what was the problem? Why, why was a couple of turnstiles closed? Were rumours true of um, turnstile staff either being let go or or losing season ticket benefits? And what's being done to ensure that that's not the case uh, when we play Rotherham? Yeah. So um, look, first of all, we we owe unreserved apologies to a lot of fans for our performance in um, in, in in some of the early match days. Um, it wasn't a single factor or a single reason that, that led to some of our problems. A lot of issues kind of compounded e- e- each other. Um, you know, staff shortages being, being one of them. I think one of the key aspects is actually that we're just all out of practice a little bit, if I'm honest. You know, there's lots of little jobs and little things that go into a match day that aren't written down in any standard operating procedure, that aren't kind of part of policy, but that just kind of used to happen organically. And... What I'd like to think is over my course of the time at the football club, and, and, and feel free to for, for people that want to disagree with me, but step by step, try to make, you know, evolve the match day and make things better and learn problems as they went along and was objective and reflective enough to realise when we had problems. I think the challenge that we've all had is it almost felt like we were starting again when we when we came back to having fans in the ground and, you know, Hopefully, you'll not just see it's us making excuses. There was lots of issues at lots of clubs with far bigger infrastructure, far bigger teams, you know, um, you know, up and down the country that there were issues. Um, always staffing games in, in Lincoln in August is a challenge because we don't have the student pool that we, we used to. We were onboarding Ticketmaster for the first time and there's been teething issues um, that we've had there and, and some things that, we probably should have done and could have done better, but some things that couldn't have been forecasted. Um, and, and yeah, there were a number of changes that we made during the pandemic that, that had to be made. And I'd, I'd, I'm not going to shy away from certain difficult decisions, but I do want to make sure that people have the full context. Um, and the full context was, you know, Clive said to me when he first came to the club, his his starting point would be as a non-league club running on fumes, things would be run as efficiently as they possibly could be. 
um, and you know any opulence or any wastage was down to a minimum. Um, and, the, and and that's really like like not the truth. Um, there was lots of kind of poor practice, lots of things that that shouldn't have been done and wasn't wasn't right. Now ultimately that wasn't certain individuals, and and it's difficult because I don't want to go into individual HR matters or things that relate to people. But if I tell you the net effect when I first came through the club and in the first two seasons is 8% of our attendance was complimentary tickets. So 800 tickets-ish a match are going out to people not paying because they're part of soft benefits or part of, of, of schemes and things like that. And it's not about you know being the Scrooge that wants to remove things, but we, we've got to operate. You know, A match day needs to generate a certain amount of profit for the football club because ultimately we're putting on a match and putting on an event the fans are paying the money and ultimately that needs to go back into the club to fund the team and work with the investors and work with the sponsors and you know we were running an incredibly inefficient match day um, and the one thing i won't apologize for is there was there was a lot of pretty poor practice and a lot of you know things that we as team members and as the senior management had asked to change and and, and improve over the course of time and you know I've got no qualms with anyone wanting to take me up on the fact that we we ultimately we, we had a model that was change people or change the people. And, and I don't apologise for that. The people that weren't willing to in, to buy into the culture that we were trying to create at the football club and that weren't willing um, to try to provide you know, excellent services to the fans. Um, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, I'm not, I won't shy away from saying, you know, there were certain decisions made that, you know, did see people move on from their posts um, from that. Um, equally, there were some, you know, victims and people that, that, you know, didn't do that, but ultimately the new system and the new structure do, doesn't suit them. What, what I will say is we're working, you know, we employ all our supervisors and all the people that are team leaders at, at the football club. Um, and then what we wanted to do is we wanted to give um, people that are, I suppose, more professional stewards, shall we say, so that do stewarding a bit more than just for Lincoln City. We wanted to give them an opportunity to work um, and get more work and working with an agency, they, they can do that. And equally, we wanted to make sure that um, we were up to date with legislation, up to date with latest training. And equally, people got to experience other venues other than other than the LNAR stadium. And working with an agency is, is, is how we've achieved it, at doing that. What we are absolutely not doing is washing our hands of responsibility of stewards and, and all that area of the club. Not not at all. We are still as actively involved in the management of the match day. Um, yes, we don't payroll them. And no, we don't put them on their, their official training that legislation requires. Um, but what we're hoping is that they get a better and broader experience from the agency that can dis, you know that can get them work at other football clubs, race courses, concert venues. Um, so hopefully the benefits for, for them um, as well. And equally, hopefully what we get back is rounded, uh, more experienced workforce that are used to dealing with big crowds, that are used to dealing with different environments. So look, that, that's probably not the polished kind of PR answer, but it's it, probably the unfiltered truth. And look, I know I'm, I'm not going to be popular in some circles, um, and I know there are some victims as part of that, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to the people that ultimately were the victims of, of that decision. Um, but I don't apologise to those that have actually been working aggressively against us for a number of time, or, or equally just just coming in, picking up the money, and doing a pretty bang average job. Because you know I'll, I'll never stand for that, not not on you know, not on my watch. And that and that's not said with an ego. That's said as I've got a responsibility to the fans to make sure we provide a safe and, and enjoyable match day. 
Cool. I, just, just to clarify, does that mean that the, the additional turnstiles will be open for Rotherham along the, the co-op stand? Yeah, yeah. The, the, so, so just to quickly pick up on that, as part of the increase of capacity, our bright idea was the fact that we managed to flow through turnstiles. So you have a designated turnstile. What we've actually found in reality is the turnstiles towards you know section uh, blocks one, two, and three of the co-op. A lot of the fans come earlier to there, and then six, five, six, and seven come later. So ultimately, the fans had actually worked out a pretty cool in their own way. You know, to manage the crowd flow themselves so us actually getting involved made made that worse so yeah allocated turnstiles in the co-op was a really was a great idea on paper poor idea in practice and we've quite quickly removed that so any turnstile goes in the co-op stand now going forward okay um next one was uh, around you mentioned ticketmaster there uh, there have been a few um a few things that have come up around ticketmaster um I think the big one that I saw on Twitter um, was people have been unable to link existing credit to um, to tickets they want to buy. Um, are the club aware of the issues? And if you know, have have you had much communication from fans that have had those problems? Um, and also, uh, you know, what what what's going on to to try and resolve them really? Yeah. So so full disclosure, um, Ticketmaster themselves, there are two issues that the blame lies with Ticketmaster, which was the fail of the electronic or the digital um, download card. So the, the card that comes mm -hmm. to people's phones or digital wallets, there was an error in that and there was an error the second time. And then there was a slight issue with the Cambridge tickets and being able to group um, your allocation uh, in terms of buying your tickets within your groups. They're the two issues that are Ticketmaster's um, fault for the want of a better term um, everything else has either been our errors in terms of learning the system setting it up mistakes that we've made and or and, and wait for it and here's the truth user error um, because there is a lot of that believe it or not um, yeah, it's all right I work in IT I know all about that you know there are a lot of people signing in on different accounts using different passwords not quite you know but like that's not us pointing the finger and blame you know, we understand it's our responsibility to, to help people understand how to use the system. All I would say is if you're not foaming at the mouth and bubbling at the point of phoning is we can often help you out a bit quicker. Um, and listen, I understand the frustrations because, uh, you know, you just want it to work. And I think we'd all got Eventbrite to a position where we we'd, we'd kind of hacked our way around it and could make it work well ultimately we wanted to do better than hack our way around i am very confident that we will grow to love and really like the functionality of ticketmaster but we're learning the system fans are still learning the system bear with us we'll do our absolute best to to um to help we've made some other poor decisions along the way ideas of like putting the ticket office behind email and phones because that way we felt we could manage the flow and service better that's not worked you'll see we've reversed the decision the ticket office is open 10 till uh, you know 10 till 4 every day now going forward um so look what i'd like to think is that we do make mistakes and we do make bad decisions but where we do we do at least rectify them as quick as we can like i said we don't let pride come be before a fall um so we've made some mistakes. There's been a few issues with Ticketmaster. There's been a few issues, you know, with, with user error and fans. But hopefully, we're getting to the to the bottom of these issues now. Um, 
It wasn't Ticketmaster's fault regarding the season ticket cards in terms of the delivery at home. I can go into that in a moment. Um, the, the only two issues that have been Ticketmaster's have been the digital delivery and the Cambridge ticket. The rest do lay at, at our feet at Lincoln City. Uh, let, let's deal with the most asked question then, because you've touched on it there. Season <laughs> ticket cards, Liam. You, you, you've got to make Twitter happy. When, when are they going to get their season ticket cards? Yeah, so we're, we're taking delivery on Thursday. Um, it might be Friday by the time that they get to, to the LNER, but we're, we're taking delivery Thursday, Friday this week. We've then got to, um, we're praying and hoping that they come alphabetical order. Um, or some form of, of order. Um, but knowing our look and knowing how things have worked this summer, they're probably going to come in a random order, which is going to take a team of people to sort out. So as soon as we can package those season ticket cards up, get them in order, we will make them available for collection in and around match days. Again, we've got to manage the flow. We've got to think about the flow rates on match days. People arriving early is not to disappoint, but I'm hoping that we might, with a good wind, have them out late this week, if not early next, unless, I don't know, something else wants to come along and uh, punch me in the face like it uh, seems to have gone on with the season ticket card so far. But, um, yeah, look, just to go back to the issue, um, <laughs> it did come down to a, a shortage of plastic cards. That's what it came down to. It, we were given a ransom price to pay at the 11th hour, um, and we refused to do that. Um because it was unethical, it was not right, and ultimately our printer was then unable to take delivery of the cards and 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 go from there. So we've actually refused to work with the provider of the plastic cards anymore based on their conduct, and we went to a completely different supplier, um, and they were delivered to our printers um, yesterday, and they're working on processing them on. Uh, pro, process, uh, no, sorry, Friday they were delivered and they're working on processing them today, which is Monday. So, um, so yeah, that, that's where we are. So, look, I don't know whether it was Brexit, I don't know if it was COVID, I don't know if it was the Suez Canal, but ultimately there was a shortage of plastic cards that got dropped on us at the 11th hour. Again, don't just take my word for it. I think there were issues up and down the country at other football clubs and venues. So hopefully they'll see it wasn't just, just Lincoln City and and was getting caught short there were, there were many others as well i hope ben don't mind me picking this one up as well because it's a supporters board favorite so um i feel that i get yeah, <laughs> well, i was, I was just going to say there's there's the uh, there's the headline exclusive details on season cards in this week's podcast yeah there you go yeah. andy person will be dancing with joy right now <laughs> um, we don't mind naming names on the stacy west podcast andy <laughs> that one's for you um talking about the catering as well and look we know this is a a, a favorite there's been one or two people have commented on um is what may be teething issues hopefully you can you can kind of help me with that there was quite long queues uh, some people have said they were able to get in the fan zone for one game gates are then closed uh, and another complaint is lack of decent options in the fan zone so no bitters no real soft drinks available from the bar points as well i just wondered if there was any learning that's gone on around that or, or, or what the situation was yeah lot, lot, lots of learning um so one of the big challenges we had with elior and bringing them on board whilst we know they're excellent and, and they will deliver a really good match days, their management team, their senior management team, never got to see the stadium in operation. You know, that contract was discussed and signed during during lockdown. So at no point did they get to see what a match day looks like. And the real detail behind that is, is in the planning. So whilst we showed them lots of CCTV footage, whilst we worked on a lot of things, you know, we just didn't have 
you know, we, you know, our systems that we had in place prior to Alien weren't as sophisticated as they had. So, you know, we couldn't tell them about, you know, the flow rates that we had in the area. We couldn't show them kind of, you know, we, we could show them broadly take-ins in the different areas, but that didn't, you know, really lead to kind of the times that things were, were accessed. Um, lots of teething areas, you know, teething problems in, in different areas. Um, things like not having hot drinks in the salinity um, mini fan zone that that hopefully will be rectified. Yeah, look, I, I know uh, the choice of beer is is nearly as subjective as choice of home shirts um, and and things like that. And Carling versus Bud versus you know Heineken etc. You know we're, we're definitely never going to be please please all people, but we've got you know another two years to go with the the pouring deal with with Budweiser. Um, in terms of the range. You know, again, I'd like to see it as a positive that we've got more pouring points in the fan village, but we just can't have the range. You know, we just don't have the facilities, the coolers, the 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 mobility to kind of set up. But over the course of time, we will learn the queuing systems. We will learn how fans use um, and 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 how things you know want to work, and we'll of course make improvements. The one thing I will say is, fans' habits have changed, uh, and I know that's like a really easy thing to say but the way people come to football and their habits and the time that they arrive and things has completely changed pre-pandemic to post-pandemic and fans are arriving later there are lots of people that just don't want to be in and around the stadium for as as long as they need to be and want to condense their times did that lead to some of the turnstile issues some of the queuing issues yeah is it excuse me is it is that the fault of it no am i trying to make excuses no but like a lot has changed and, and we're definitely learning um you know and, and i'd like to think we look we, we fail fast so if we make a mistake we try and rectify it um and the other thing that's been happening is we've, we've been let down by vendors that that said they were going to come to the fan village and then just didn't turn up which just seems to be um common practice nowadays you know it, it, you know that people just seem to, to let you down and yeah, there's very little you, you can do in those scenarios so yeah a combination of a few things but hopefully over the course of time we will get back to a, a far better standard hopefully starting you know with uh, with with rotherham and, and ipswich fair enough um so the i think the uh, next one really um was around the program i know it's been discussed before um I think the exact wording of the question that we got is what's it going to take to save the programme for next season and beyond? Um, I know it's something that Gary is very passionate about and uh, it's something that I know I know a lot of the people that listen to uh, are quite keen on as well. So, um, yeah, I know you've mentioned it before, but uh, what's, what's the plan for the programme for next season? Yeah, I suppose ditto, love a programme, think it's part of the match day. Our starting position is that we want to keep it. Um, what we're just asking is that fans that do want to see it remain by it. That that's that's the best thing that, that people can do. And you know, we've just about got a viable product at the moment. Um so as long as fans continue to buy it and as long as fans continue to back it, as long as fans continue to give us feedback as to what will make them buy the program and then follow that up, then then we'll keep delivering a program. I suppose if we have a drop off in the next five years, like we've had in the last five years, then yeah, it, it's going to take one one heck of a, a good wind to keep the programme because the time that it takes, the value that it brings. Um, you know, if I, if I say to you that the net profit of running a programme for a year at Link's, Lincoln City is is five figures, but only just, um, sorry, not only just, but, but 
but just five figures um, and not, you know, not not high five figures, um, you'll see the amount of effort that it actually takes versus what it returns. Now, it's not just about that, but what it does mean is the time that's spent on the programme means that we're not spent on other platforms, the website, other mediums. And nowadays, as a, a modern um, organisation, we've got to have TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, website, or, you know, CRM systems. You know, the, the, the landscape has changed and we've just got to deploy our resources in the smartest possible way that gets the most eyes on. So I really, really hope in five years' time we've still got a programme. I really do. Thank you very much. I've just got one eye on time. So we've got a couple of points that I think what I'll do is probably drop them over to you on an email and then go directly back to the people that have asked the question, because I think that they're small operational points rather than major kind of um, major points. And I really want to move on to um, something much more pertinent, which was the the, re the recent issue um, of, of racist abuse at the Manchester United game, obviously something that we were on, the, uh, one of our players was on the receiving end of against Gillingham. Uh, I just was really interested to know how the club was was planning on combating this. I, I found it interesting that actually you went through the media uh, to, to kind of to speak about it. And I know in the past that's probably not been the case as, uh, as much. So I just wondered what, what the club was doing and, and, and the outcome from that. Yeah, so look, it's clearly something... Um, that nobody wants our football club and that's any form of discrimination um, and we will absolutely not 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 stand for it I think um, our views and my personal views are you know banning fans and and using a stick is absolutely part of the toolbox and and should be used and we shouldn't be afraid of using it and, and we absolutely will and and have done in the past for, for other forms of discrimination. Um, but equally, I think we've got an obligation and a responsibility to, to educate as well. And I think the nuance and the detail of the matter um, is, is actually really important. I think what, you know, I, I don't want to go into the matter specifically, but what I will say is people will have picked up, you know, that the individual involved is, is, a, is a minor um, or, um, you know, needed uh, parental support. Um, and uh, you know that there is a neat detail and a nuance to to that um we absolutely don't stand for any form of prejudice we absolutely don't stand for any form of hate um and we we will not hesitate um you know to to use all possible powers and abilities um you know to take action the one thing i will say and hopefully is a success story of this is how it was handled how the incident was reported our plain clothes spotters that were put into the area the CCTV system, the whole actual identification process was was uh, it was an unfortunate success, um, but it was a success in terms of how it was how I think the club dealt with it. Um, <clears throat> but of course now we've got a responsibility. Our responsibility doesn't doesn't end there. Um, desperately disappointing to hear and see that um, at a stadium at a football club, but we can't be naive enough to think that it doesn't go on. One thing that I would like to see <clears throat> is football clubs often. Um, have their reputation tarnished or it's almost their brand effective when they look to deal with things. I actually think football clubs and high-profile organisations should be celebrated for actually taking a strong arm and dealing with this because once you drive it from being taboo and once you drive it away from being something that people are scared to admit, you'll actually get more proactive action. So we're never going to put our head beneath the parapet and try and bury this as bad news We'll be very open and transparent of this. We've had two instances this season that we know of. One of our fans against an opposition player and one against, you know, an opposition fan against our players. And we'll work as hard as we possibly can to get the the, the most thorough 
and and you know um, re required action. Um, but there are nuances and there are details to the situation that we reserve the right to, to consider each case on its merit. Fair enough. Um, are there any uh, are there any initiatives that the club are working on, or you know they've got uh, either in place or you know in in the planning stage to kind of help combat these you know these incidents and bring our bring around more awareness um, other than uh, the taking of the knee before the games. Yeah, so our foundation do a lot of work in this area <clears throat> in schools and with workshops. Uh, anyway, and then on match days, we are working with all the major organisations and the FL in terms of looking at their campaign calendar as to how we can support. And what what we don't want to do is just be that club that, I don't know, it's kick it out weekend. So mascot walks out with flags and we all wear the same colour laces. Well, that's quite easy to do. We'd actually like to take a more proactive approach. So not only as ambassadors uh, of what's right and, and proper, but equally actively working um, on, 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 on education programmes and working with our players and working with our ambassadors um, in order to, to tackle this. So we'll definitely be proactive in this area um, and there are a number of, of smaller initiatives taking place currently. Um, but yeah, of course, we would like to do something a bit more higher profile on, on match days um, as well. And you know, I've seen you know, the work of, of Lisa, uh, the Lady Imps Support Association and some of the work that's gone on there as well. Um, and it's projects like that that will continue to support and drive. Wonderful. Thank you very much. We're getting deep into the night now for those listening. It's it's nearly my bedtime, so we're going to have to uh, get through it's the nearly last the time we started the last podcast, Gary. <laughs> um, so a couple of questions, Lynn, just about share certificates and the season ticket refund <laughs> rewards. There was certain money can't buy experiences that, that I don't think people are, uh, are aware of when they're going to happen. Are there any timescales on both the share certificates and things like the workshop with Jairs and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, so share certificates, they're available, actually we announced this morning, um, they're available for collection on non-match days um, at this moment. So again, to be clear, non-match days, so we just can't, we just don't have the bandwidth <clears throat> to, to doing share certificate collections on, on match days um, as well at this moment in time. But hopefully as that starts to thin out, we might be able to open that up because I know there are people that do travel from, from quite a distance. Um, but, you know, there's, there's nothing keeping there. You know, it, it, it's, you know, there's no urgency, but we just, you know, encourage people to pick them up as, as and when when they can. Um, yeah, there are a number of outstanding things that, that we need to honour. Um, without using COVID as an excuse, we're just monitoring the situation because a lot of, we would like to do a lot of these things in person um, rather than um, virtually. Um, so we're just monitoring the situation, looking for a bit of gap in the games as well. Um, but we, we do know that we owe people certain benefits. It's not like we're going to give people a week's notice. We, we will communicate um so please just just bear with us um we are fully aware that we we do owe a number of, uh, of promises out to people um and, and we'll make sure we uh, we communicate when we can with them cool um and then i think the the other one um, that we've got here um i i don't i don't really know the question on this one so gary do you want to take it about the memorial bricks yeah i think some people said they were still waiting for their memorial bricks to appear at the ground i don't know if um if that's something you're aware of yeah, no, we, we took a batch order of about 70 bricks that had been on order um, at the, um, at the last, uh, in the last week. And hopefully they're on the workflow for this week for getting installed. Um, if not, I hope to have them installed by the Ipswich fixture. Uh, but yeah, no, they're, um, they're definitely in the order and in the pipeline. Cool. Wonderful. Uh, there was one other question, actually, which um, I've, I've just remembered that I saw. Um, and I haven't I've, got that. 
I've surprised Gary a little bit, but I was hoping um, that you could just give us a little bit more insight into your new role with the EFL. Um, and, you know, just a quick overview, because as I say, I know it's getting a bit late in the evening. Yeah, sure. So very, very quickly, the EFL Trust is the organisation that, um, like the EFL sits above Lincoln City, and the EFL Trust is the organisation that sits above Lincoln City Foundation and all the other foundations within the Football League. And it's an incredible honour for, for me to be given the opportunity to be its chair. Um, it's the nicer side of the game. It's the community side of the game. Um, in terms of time commitment, it's 12 days a year. That's 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 it. So hopefully that won't be, you know, it shouldn't detract from my day-to-day responsibilities at Lincoln City. I think selfishly, the benefits to Lincoln City are we do get to see a little bit what's coming down the pipeline, um, you know, certainly in communities and, and areas that we're quite passionate about. But hopefully, um, you know, from my perspective and our perspective, we can just start to influence the national picture a little bit more, um, you know, and, um, and and continue the good work that all football clubs should be doing within their communities. So, yes, this isn't purely about Lincoln City, but hopefully Lincoln City are the beneficiary, but equally fo- football as a, as a whole. So, yeah, incredibly honoured um, to be given that responsibility um, and, and very proud that um, that it, it's kind of come my way. So, yeah, feel feel the pressure, but but looking forward to the next three years um, in that role. Wonderful. Well, uh, Liam, obviously, uh, as we keep saying, it's getting late. We really, really appreciate uh, not only doing this with us, but also your candidness on on the one or two kind of slightly tougher issues as well. Um, so thank you very much indeed for your time. No, th- thank, thank you both. And, and look, guys, you know, like I said earlier, I, I appreciate we definitely do get things wrong um, and we've been far from perfect over the past few, few months. Um, but hopefully the fans can see that we're, we're certainly trying to do the right things. Hopefully we can continue to make you proud and areas that yeah, we haven't hit the sweet spot. Hopefully we can quite, you know, quite quickly get back to, um, to doing you guys proud. So, you know, continue to give us the feedback, continue working with us. Um, and, and, and thank you everybody for, for your support um, and look, unreserved apologies where we have got it wrong. Um, and hopefully we'll get back to um, get back to a usual form quick enough. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And, yeah, so that is uh, that was that was Liam Scully with some some relatively difficult questions, some candid answers, and uh, hopefully a bit more insight into uh, into what's gone on recently. Um, I enjoyed that, guys. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? It was good. I think um, some of the stuff around the transfer window was obviously interesting. Mm-hmm. He he would name the player, but I think we all know who it is. Um, <laughs> but I, I found it particularly interesting that we'd had bids for players, multiple bids, multiple high six-figure bids for players, which kind of actually fits with some of the rumour sites as well, doesn't it? And, yeah. um, you know, people don't get to hear a lot of what goes on. And I think it was interesting the way he said about Teo's contracts. A lot of people said, well, why don't we offer him a new deal? And, you know, Teo acted impeccably. We know that. But at the end of the day, he's a... If he's getting offered, he knows that the position that he's going to be in come January. You know, yeah. it's not that he doesn't love the club. You and I love the club. You know, if we were offered a pay cut to do the Stacey West, which wouldn't be possible because we pay to do it. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? If we were offered that, you would take it because it's Lincoln. But Taylor's yeah. a 23-year-old lad. I mean, it's, it's not my job, essentially. You know, I think if somebody yeah. offered me, if, if my current place said to me, right, OK, well, we're going to give you this and then somebody else was saying right well we're going to you know essentially double your salary to do the exact same job but you'll be challenged more i'm like okay cool well, you know it's 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 the age-old conversation and people say oh well football's different it's not it's a job but 
So I think headlines there is that the club were happy with the transfer window, not with deadline day. Um, you know, the, the landscape had obviously changed. I look at free agents. My gut feeling is we won't see a free agent come in. No, said. kind of in um, the same boat there. Yeah, a bit about the Stacey West development and the bond, which, you know, that was, again, a lot of that I was aware of being on the supporters board. So I'm quite pleased that a lot of that's come out. But clearly we've had some issues around match day, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, I, I think we, we all know that some things will change. The beer offering won't. You, know, you won't be able to get bitter. It's, it's that simple. We've got a deal, haven't we, with Budweiser? And you know, yep. at least it won't try and big that up. Uh, the headlines for me is at least buy, buy the programme, um, not beer obviously hmm. buy, buy some beer if you want to but buy the program so yeah it's good it's good so if you're on your way to work on tuesday morning listening to this no pressure ben um i <laughs> hope you enjoyed it you've obviously got a long way to go to work because we're, we're about an hour and 40 deep <laughs> <laughs> so we may be back ben and i may be back on thursday i'm actually on a, a staycation which is a very american thing um where my partner and i are staying at home fee and i and and going out for days out so um, we may record we may not depends what thursday brings absolutely and hopefully uh yeah we'll, we'll get something out um because we've actually got a game to look forward to this weekend yes yes go to cambridge which is uh very good i'm going on andy's bus as well so i hope he's got his season ticket plastic season ticket by then <laughs> I, I can't be doing any share certificate you can go pick that up now you can get and andy tell you what you could actually do mate because i think you're retired um you could go <laughs> in and pick mine up as well and bring bring it to me on the day because i can't get in on a non-match day is he retired i know he's a, i don't know i think he works doesn't he i don't really know what he does what do you do andy other than emojis on the <laughs> internet do you do emojis there we go ah, 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 ah. you've been in trouble with that before i haven't said andy person's a moaner you've just said it again next you'll be criticizing chris Keneally, and then it's all gonna kick off again i like both of them in equal measure i like both of them in equal measure as well oh i don't think they like you the same well you know i can live with that i'm all right <laughs> brilliant right all it's right guys. Midnight, so. yeah hopefully we'll uh we might see it before the end of the week for a uh, a preview for the weekend and a discussion on actual football um but until then up the imps up the imps the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.